0: If you could have any job in the world, if you could have your dream job, if money was no issue and you had the abilities to do your dream job, what would it be? Maybe it'd be this. Just like to be a jet fighter. Huh? That sound fun. Or how about this? A video game tester. A lot of young guys want to be video game testers, I've had. This conversation, <laughs> well, there's not a big market out there for video game testers and designers. How about this one? A photographer, travel all over the world, take beautiful pictures. How about this one? A surgeon, if you have the abilities, yeah. Or this one? How about a musician? I know, A lot of people are in bands and things of that nature. Wouldn't it be great just to quit your job and uh, do that full time? Or how about this? Yeah, an athlete. Michael Phelps had his dream job, and then he retired. Twenty months later, he's back in his dream job. (laughs) Uh, Then how about this? Ah, yes, an actor, actress. Not that you want to be like Johnny Depp. (laughs) Johnny Depp's a very complex individual, but uh, maybe you'd like to be an actor. All right, well, i got some great news for you this morning. If you're a Christ follower, you already have your dream job. And that dream job is being a disciple maker. Now, again, you might not think it's a dream job. When you think about being a disciple maker, your heart might not race fast and you build with excitement. But I tell you what. As you continue to grow and mature in Christ, you'll realize there is nothing more significant, life-changing, important in this world that has eternal impact than being a disciple-maker. And so Jesus Christ said to His disciples as He left this earth, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's saying, guys, your job is to go out and make disciples. That word means learner. Go out and make learners of me. Go out and make followers. Teach people how to come into relationship with me. Then help them to walk with me. Teach them. My words. And one of the challenges that we have, as I've mentioned before, in our Western culture is that we're so self-focused. We're so independent. It's a challenge for us sometimes to look at other people. For example, and their needs. Because we look at our own spiritual life and it's usually about, okay, how can I be a stronger disciple? Uh, And many times it starts out selfishly like how can Jesus help me and that's kind of how it starts (laughs) you know and then hopefully over time uh, how can I you know connect with Christ and how can I walk with him and how can I fulfill his mission here on the earth and but, but the challenge is that because of the way they were raised and the values were taught it's kind of like all about me how can I be a strong disciple but we don't think about well you know, I should be concerned about other people and their walk with Jesus. I should help them to come to know Jesus, to mature in Jesus. I should help them be dependent upon Jesus like I am. Even people who have walked in the faith a long time, it, they, they still kind of think that way. And that really is the essence of disciple-driven, is for us as a a disciple-making community to realize It's not about me. It's about other people around me. It's about who am I discipling? Who am I teaching? Who am I training? Who am I modeling the Christian life for? Who am I investing in? That is what we want to continue to explore. We want to continue to ask God to build that into our hearts. So I was thinking about this. How do do we start out here? We just got off this great time of talking about the vision and what we want to do, and now we've committed ourselves in a generous way to the vision. Uh, Where do we start? Well, duh! We start out with Jesus Christ, the Master Disciple Maker, right? We study what He did with His disciples, and there's no better disciple to study than Peter. (laughs) Peter, he needed a lot of work. So we're going to be studying his life over the next couple of months, uh, here are some of the messages today I call the discipleship and the fearless water walker and mom disciple maker. It's Mother's Day. And I encourage you to invite your friends and family. And uh, we'll just be talking about, well, first of all, we'll be celebrating moms. And then we'll be encouraging moms and really everybody to disciple their children to, again, do whatever they can in helping those kids to understand the Word of God and how to depend upon Jesus. Then the Right ID and the Ultimate Light Show. So we're going to have a great month of May talking about how Jesus discipled Peter. Now, let's start at the beginning of Jesus Christ and Peter's relationship. Well, it started with this guy right here. This is from the Heavenly Archives, a picture of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, yes, sirree. We got the camel hair, and you know, would this be the guy you'd pick as your PR guy? Jesus was always counterculture, because he was changing the culture. He was bringing his kingdom to earth. So he chose John the Baptist. Uh, he took a Nazarite vow, just like Samson, so he didn't cut his hair, and he ate wild honey and locusts. And he had disciples, just like Jesus Christ had disciples. In fact, we read in John one thirty-five. it said, The next day again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And those disciples were Andrew and John. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, Andrew and John were good Hebrew students. They knew exactly what John was talking about. That is the Messiah. So what do they do? They start to follow Jesus. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. The first time in their lives they chose to follow Jesus. And how little did they know? What a marvelous journey that would be. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was for about uh, the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So they're following Jesus. They're tailing him. (laughs) Jesus turns around. Hey, what do you guys want? Hey, what? We want to hang out with you. That's what they were basically saying. So uh, they went to wherever he was staying. Jesus Christ didn't have a home. We don't know where he was staying at this point. But uh, it was like two hours before people typically went to bed in that day. And so they had those conversations, slept overnight, had more conversations. And you can imagine how excited they were when they realized that this was the Messiah. That this was the person that they had been waiting for, that they had learned so much about through all their years growing up, who John the Baptist had talked about them, trained them to look for the Messiah. And when John said there's the Messiah, <laughs> they went. They went and followed Jesus. And I love what Jesus Christ says. He says, Come and you will see. And friends, the essence and beginning of an of discipleship is inviting God people, inviting people, first of all, to know Jesus, evangelism, come and see, come and see, come and see, come to my house, let's get to know each other better, and you will see how my life is different than your life because of my relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about perfection. It doesn't take a whole lot to differentiate yourself these days, right? Right. <laughs> So come and see. Come and walk with me. Because I'd like to invite you to explore who Jesus Christ is. And then once that uh, happens, once they make that decision to follow Christ, then you want to say, come and see. And I'll teach you about the Christian life. I'll help you. I'll encourage you along the way. So we're always inviting people. That's the essence of being a disciple maker. Uh, You might come across a Christ follower, let's say, in your small group who is stalled out. They've been a Christ follower since they were in the nursery. (laughs) That's not possible, but uh, again, when they were very young. And so you say, hey, listen, why don't we meet together? Once a week, once every two weeks. Let's talk about our spiritual lives. And you start to disciple them because you know they're stalled out. And therefore, you say, I'm going to wait with you. I'm going to encourage you. And that's another thing about discipleship. It takes a lot of patience. Because I know personally, I I change very slowly. I know all the things I'd like to do, all the things I'd like to be, but (laughs) it doesn't work unless uh, Jesus Christ is empowering me and changing my heart. And even when that's happening, it doesn't happen very quickly. So the essence of, uh, (laughs) let's put it this way one of the key skills of a disciple maker is patience, patience, patience. Because you work with somebody who's struggling in an area of their life, uh, you just need to be patient. And you continue to extend Jesus' grace to them. Continue. And when they say, Oh, I blew it again. I can't do this. I'm just forget it. No, no, no. No. <laughs> no. No, we all struggle. And and Jesus keeps inviting us back. And and you just continue to extend grace. And, and you, of course, uh, reflect who Christ is in their life. Well... Uh, Andrew uh, was one of these uh, disciples, John the Baptist disciples. And we read in John 141, He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Christ means Messiah. And uh, it's been said that Andrew was the first evangelist. Because as soon as he heard, boom, he went to his brother. Peter! Peter! Or excuse me, at this point it's Simon. Simon, Simon, I got great news for you. We found the Messiah, and this was really big news. The Messiah was the one who was going to become uh, the political savior in many people's minds. They didn't realize he'd be a spiritual savior, but he was the political savior. They were under Rome, under Roman oppression and taxes. It was a very depressing time to be a Jew. But the Messiah was the one who was going to solve all their problems. So he brought him to Jesus. We read in verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So that's when he gave him the name Peter. Now, why did he give him the name Peter? Well, the word Peter in the original language means rock. Rock. Now, Peter was not a rock. Peter went boldly before, or he went boldly where no man had gone before. And sometimes sometimes that was a good direction and sometimes that was a bad uh, direction. He was impulsive. He was unpredictable. He was reluctant. He had foot and mouth disease. Peter had all kinds of issues, just like we have all kinds of issues. But... God saw in that raw material that Peter was going to be the leader of the early church. And he casted vision for Peter. Peter, this is what your life is going to be. I'm going to do a miracle in your life. And as a disciple maker, that's another skill is we need to just continue to encourage people as we walk with them, as we do life with them. And when they're discouraged, we need to say, God is going to come through. I know it doesn't seem that way. I know He seems far away. But I can tell you, He's proven it over and over again in my life. It's interesting as you study what Peter is called in the Gospels, it differs. Now, when Peter is messing up, (laughs) Jesus calls him Simon. In fact, when Jesus Christ told him that he was going uh, to betray him or deny him, that is, deny that he even knew him. Uh, He called him Simon. We read in Matthew 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. So he predicted what was going to happen. And after that, the next verse says, Peter says, no, 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 that's not me. I'm, I'm staying with you to the end. And that's when he said, you're going to... Uh, deny me three times. So he used the word Simon because he knew that he was going to go in the wrong direction. But you look in Matthew sixteen eighteen after Peter identifies Christ as the Messiah when he asks him, hey, he asks his disciples, who are people saying that I am? And people say, or excuse me, the disciples said certain people and and... Peter just comes out and nails it. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus Christ says to him, and I tell you, you are Peter. You are the rock. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, let's take a look at the passage we want to focus on uh, this morning. This is about 40 days or more than the last encounter that Jesus Christ had with Peter. So it was a process. It was a process in terms of Peter and the other disciples, uh, the early ones at least, James and John and Andrew, kind of processing what they were going to do uh, with Jesus. Now, on one occasion, it says in Luke 5, 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So Jesus Christ was a very popular rabbi as time went by because not only was he an incredibly powerful teacher, but he did miracles. Back in that day, they didn't have much entertainment. So when you found a really good rabbi who really had some great things to say, people came out to hear him. Now, we see a picture here of the lake, uh, excuse me, the Sea of Galilee or the lake at the center of it. Uh, it really is a lake more than a sea. And this is how it kind of slopes in around the Sea of Galilee. So it kind of creates a a beautiful place for a person to teach. They they stand down by the water and they teach. And there were probably thousands of people in in an area like this listening to Jesus Christ. And they were kind of pressing in on Him. So He kind of had to keep moving back as the crowd uh, moved toward Him. Now if we go back to Luke five one, it says they, they came to hear The Word of God. Now, when we say the Word of God, usually we're talking about the Bible, but this was actually the Word of God. Jesus Christ was God, and He was speaking. Can you imagine listening to Jesus Christ speak to hear God Himself speaking? How powerful, how compelling, how clear. (laughs) What a great experience that must have been. But I am so thankful that we have this book. This is the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit uses it to transform our lives. It's the inerrant, uh, perfect Word of God that's been passed down uh, through uh, the ages. And friends, this is the foundation for all discipleship. This is where it starts. This is where it ends. This is our training manual. Now, let's jump ahead to Luke chapter 5, verse 2. And Jesus Christ saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. They fished at night, and they cleaned their gear during the day. Then in verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, all rabbis in that day sat down when they taught. And the challenge was that people were forcing him into water. So he did this several times in the Gospels. Uh, He got into a boat, moved away from the people. They probably didn't come too far into the water. And he spoke from there. And when he had finished speaking in Luke 5, 4, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now let me give some background about fishing. In that day, they would fish. At night, because that's when the fish were near the surface, they were feeding, they were active. So that's when they went fishing, just as true fishermen today do, very early in the morning to catch the fish. So uh, he said that he wanted uh, Peter to let down his nets. And what that meant was, is that uh, they were to go out into the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is the middle of the day. And where are all the fish? The fish are way down deep, protecting themselves uh, from the heat of the sun. There's no fish out there. In fact, anybody you would talk to back in that day, that is the most foolish thing you could ever do, is fish in the middle of the day, especially in that region. But that's what Jesus Christ was asking him to do. Now, what they had is they had a a boat, a large boat. We know that this boat was so large, it many times carried the twelve disciples, plus Jesus. Had a sail that had a holding tank, not a holding tank, but a holding place where they would put the fish into. And what they would do is they would take this huge net, sometimes up to a half mile, and they'd have a smaller boat. So you have the large boat and the smaller boat. And the smaller boat would drag the net out. All right, drag the net out. And then it would come back. And whatever fish were caught in the net were, again, gathered by the net And they pulled the net up, and that's how they did commercial fishing in that day, in that area. So, we have Jesus Christ asking Peter to go out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the day, and fish. This was a ludicrous request. In fact, it says that, They had a bad night the night before, you know. You have a bad night at work, you know, or a bad day at work, that is. You don't feel like going back to the next day, right? (laughs) You think it's going to repeat itself. Say, hey, listen, I've been out and nothing's happening out there. So you can imagine what's going through Peter's mind. Come come on, Jesus, this this does not make sense. This This is not going to work. No possible way it's going to work. You're a carpenter, Okay. You're a professional carpenter. I respect your carpenter abilities, but I'm the professional fisherman. I'm the professional fisherman. I can imagine that's running through his head. Because we look in verse 5, it says, And Simon answered, Master, which was a term of authority, a person who was a chief, a person who was like a boss or supervisor, someone in authority. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing but, at your word, I will let down. And that's the only reason I'm doing this, is because you're telling me to. I want everybody to know that. <laughs> All my fishermen friends out there, <laughs> you're going to think I'm a fool, but I just, well, this is Jesus. He's telling me to do this. Okay, that's the only reason I'm doing this. <laughs> so, uh, has uh, has God ever asked you to do something that doesn't make sense? Did everybody ask you to do that? I mean, you look at the situation, you study the situation, you talk to other people, and you really feel a strong impression from God that you should take this job or move this place or uh, get away from a particular person or a lot of different things. But God gives you an impression, you should do this. Like what we're talking about right here. Some of you made these commitments and you said, this doesn't make sense. But you felt God leading you to do it. Well, friends, if we're going to become passionate about being a disciple, we need to continue to step out and do things that don't make sense. I was talking with a, a guy from our church this past week and he went on a mission trip. And on this mission trip, he met a leader uh, from that particular area. This man was living there. And he uh, had a lot of leadership abilities, but his car had broken down. He didn't have a car. And that was keeping him from doing the ministry he desired. And so my friend had this impression that he should buy him a car, thousands of dollars. And he shared it with his wife. And they decided to buy this guy the car. Now, that doesn't make any sense, right? To buy somebody an expensive car. At least, you know, you're buying another car for somebody else. And But he did it because... He believed that God was leading him to. He and his wife made that decision, and they were blessed by it. Well, let's see what happens. Verse six. And when they had done this, when they let the net down and brought it back up, brought it back up again, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. So you just have to imagine this, okay? So they're going out there. Oh, yeah, I don't want to do this. Jesus said to do it. They go through their typical (coughs) letting the net down. But when they start to bring the net up, I mean, (laughs) there's a lot of fish. In fact, the net started to break right away because the nets were never intended to hold this amount of fish. And, and so they call, I, I assume that uh, uh, Simon and Andrew are out there. And so they call James and John. They're partners in fishing. They call, hey, hey, hey you got to help us here. Bring the other boat out. Uh, there's all kinds of fish. <laughs> and so they come out. And they start loading this fish you know, into the boats. Oh, both boats. And then the boats begin to sink. The boats begin to sink. Isn't it incredible? I mean, these guys who hadn't caught anything all night, go out in the middle of the day, and the sun's coming down, and they get this incredible amount of fish. I would probably have to say, in my thinking, that this is the largest catch of fish in the history of the Sea of Galilee. (laughs) Why? Because it was supernatural. Jesus Christ set out. A message to all those fish. And he said, I want you to gather in this one area. When the net comes down, I want you to go into it and sacrifice your life. (laughs) And they did. (laughs) You can imagine the people on the shore. They had just heard the teaching of Jesus Christ. Maybe some had left. I don't know, but they're looking. They're going, What's going on with that? Verse 9. For He and all who were with Him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. They were astonished. This doesn't make sense. Friends, that is God. He he does things that we can't understand because they're supernatural. They're coming out of His power. I mean, who can command the fish? Only can tell the fish where to go and what to do. And friends, so many of us are struggling in life and you know, we're trying to figure life out and trying to put things together and we work so hard at trying to control things and put things in the proper place and put strategies and plans together and we work and we work and we're so tired. <sighs> what we need to do is just continue to learn to depend upon Jesus. That's where that, that prayer comes from. Oh God, I don't know what to do help me, help me, guide me. And then God shows up. I'm not saying that every time you pray some something supernaturally fantastic is going to happen. It might be a very slow process. But the point is, God is listening. And if you're a Christ follower, God is your Father. And He's going to take care of you. It might not be the way that you would like, but He's going to take care of you. <laughs> All right? I mean, unbelievable. I, this catch of fish, I mean, try, try to, to put it in our terms. Let's say you're a salesman. How many salesmen we got out there? All right. Very good. That's, that's a tough job. God bless you guys for how hard you work. Let's say that uh, <laughs> you get to work uh, in the morning and, you know, you're sizing up your day and all of a sudden you get a call. It's not repeat business. It's a brand new person. They've heard about your product. They've heard about you and they want... A lot of what you sell so you're talking to them you put the phone down another call oh yeah another person who wants <laughs> what you sell new business and the calls keep coming and the voicemails start to build after an now you got 30 voicemails okay <laughs> at the end of the day you got 500 voicemails all new business and they want what you want what you got and they want a lot of it now. What would you do after a day like that? <laughs> you'd faint. You'd be telling everybody, you'd be hopping on the phone. You wouldn't believe what happened to me today. This never happened. It never has happened to anybody, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I can guarantee you that one. Tell me if you've heard something. But I just can't believe it. Or let's say you're a mom. You're a mom and, and it's Saturday. And let's say you got like three kids ages five to eight. And uh, it's like 10 o'clock. And you don't need to set an alarm, right? They wake you up, and you kind of co- you look at the clock and you wonder what's gone wrong. And all of a sudden, you see your kids around your bed, and they're all dressed, and their hair is combed, and uh, they're looking great. And they say, "Mom, we love you. How can we serve you today? We know that it's spring. We know the yard is very important to you." We don't have a lot of abilities at our age, but we'd like to do whatever you ask. So you name up a few things. Whoosh, they're out the door. Thanks, Mom! And they're out there raking leaves and, you know, doing whatever they can do. <laughs> and they come back and, Mom, we're done with the yard. What can we do inside the house here for you? Well, you can do that. Boom! They're off again, serving. And, and finally they come back and say, listen, guys, you don't have to do anything else today. And then they turn to each other. Well, how can I serve you? How can I help you? I've noticed your room is messy. Could I help you organize that? Now, again, if that's stepping on your toes, I don't want to do that. But what what do you want me to do? You know, I mean, you got chores today I could do for you, right? No, no conflict at all during the day. Only kind, loving words flowing from these children, just joyous laughs. That's unbelievable. That will never happen. <laughs> Right? To that degree? Well, friends, that's... I'm just giving you these illustrations to give you a sense of how these people responded to this catch of fish in that area being a commercial fishing area. It was just unbelievable. And friends, again, when this happens, we begin begin to understand who who God is. In fact, it's interesting in verse 8... But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What did Peter truly understand for the first time? That he was in the presence of God Himself. That Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And... In the midst of holiness, he just fell to his knees and said, go away, Lord. Please go away. Leave me. I'm sinful. I don't deserve to be in your presence. Just leave, please. Please. I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. And what does Jesus say? Do not be afraid. This shows an incredible grace as I believe in you, Peter. I want you on my team. From now on, you'll be catching men. You'll be a disciple maker. You'll be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Boy, how do you get to that point, huh? How do you get to that point? It's a slow process. But but again, as you continue to pursue Jesus and open your heart and life up to Him, it does happen. It does happen to the point where everything in your life uh, is centered around your relationship with Jesus Christ. And friends, I don't know where you guys are at today. Everybody's at a different point. That's a beautiful thing about a disciple-making community. You have people who have walked with the Lord for ever... (laughs) Yeah, have people who have been Christ followers three years, ten years. And you have baby Christians. And you have people who are just checking out Jesus. And uh, I'll tell you, one of the ways that you grow toward this type of experience is you obey God when He says to do something that doesn't make sense. You ask the Spirit to give you the faith in order to... Step out in an area of your life to make a change. To do something that only God can make happen. And when you do that, you get to know who God is. And that's what, that's what happened to Peter. He realized this was God and he realized how holy God was and that he had no right to be in His presence. Of course, that's the beauty of the Gospel. Yeah, we have no right to be in His presence, but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's life. We're allowed to do that if we accept that gift in faith. It's fun to make disciples. It's exciting. It really is your dream job. My prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that uh, as we grow as a church and talk about these things, that each week, each month that goes by. We'll be more engaged in our own relationship with Jesus. And because it's such a vibrant, life-changing, meaningful relationship, we can't help but tell others. We can't help but tell people about Jesus, evangelize, help other people who are struggling in their faith. That's the beauty of disciple-making. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You so much for Peter. We can relate to him so much because we are such sinners. Uh, We're so selfish. We just uh, don't want to trust anybody but ourselves. But thank You for the Holy Spirit who is constantly transforming us as we allow Him to, as we open up our lives to Him. And thank You that we can walk with You In Christ's name, amen. Well, if we could have our ushers come forward to collect our love gifts to the Lord. If you didn't have a chance to put your commitment card in, you can do that at this time. We're also going to have our prayer team come forward. They would love to pray uh, with you after the service. They would love to encourage you, rejoice with you about what's going on in your life. So please, uh, respond to them. Hey, we had our morning of prayer yesterday, and we were praying for 100 people to show up. 100 people to show up, and 93 did. Isn't that great, huh? Praise God. (laughs) That is awesome, man. I tell you. That was a strong message to God, that we are a church that wants to learn about prayer. In fact, I have some pictures here. This is... uh, one of the groups, we broke out into different groups as people came. There's a picture of some teenagers who were praying uh, with us. And then also a picture of little girls, Autumn Ledgerwood and Janelle. And some might say, well, why, why would you bring her? I mean, she has no clue what's going on what people are talking about, to, you know, to the degree that adults do. But I, I think that's beautiful. Not, not, not every child would be good in that situation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But at the same time, it's a beautiful picture of modeling as a parent. Modeling as a parent saying, hey, listen, we're going to church this morning and we're going to pray together. Or whatever it is, you know, when you continue to model for your child what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Also, another thing that we can be praying about, uh, you heard about the doctor being killed in Afghanistan. Here's a picture of him. Uh, Jerry Amanos, and it just so happens that he uh, was a pediatrician down in Lawndale, the church that we're partnering with, and they have this huge health clinic, and he had been there for 16 years, and then he went to Afghanistan and served there. Uh, he was training the next generation of doctors in Afghanistan. He was at the Cure International Hospital, there only two hospitals like it, in Afghanistan. And Sadly, he was coming out, and there was another family that was visiting from an evangelical church like ours, the Orchard over in Arlington Heights. They were the Gable family, and John Gable worked at uh, the University of Kabul, which is right next door uh, to the hospital, and his parents were visiting him, and they had all gone to visit uh, Dr. Yamanos. So, they were coming out and a rogue security guard gunned them all down. Killed Jerry Amanos, Killed uh, John Gable, the young man who lived there at the university. Killed his father, Gary Gable, and wounded the wife. I wasn't able to find out what the wife's name was. But, oh. Wow. you know, We need to be praying. I sent an email to the executive... Pastor at Lawndale, and said, we're praying for you. And he said, we appreciate that. We've lost just such a special person. He was so well-loved. I would encourage in your prayer time to continue to pray uh, for both of these families. The Amanos. his wife, Jerry's wife was here in Chicago. And uh, his son, they were interviewed. And just such a tragedy. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for our friends at Lawndale as they mourn the loss of this beloved doctor, this beloved friend who ministered to so many of them over the years, such trauma. I pray be with them, especially today, as they gather together in services and talk about this tragic loss and start to work, start to work through the grief as a as a church, as each church and individuals. Lord, we pray that you would comfort them in Christ's name. Amen. Again, come forward and uh, get some. Prayer encouragement. Otherwise, enjoy this beautiful day.